This is CliffCentral.com. Richard, are we on track with the financial pack for my presentation to the board next week? Well, hopefully. The team's very short-staffed, and it's taking such a long time to find a suitable financial manager for the division. We're way behind on all our forecasts and reporting. Why don't you speak to the finance team? They're a consultancy that can help you with an experienced interim financial manager. You can have somebody to help you almost immediately. They'll hit the ground running with no long-term contracts and no upfront placement fees. Go to thefinanceteam.co.za. Welcome to our Business Masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of the Finance Team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio as part of our panel is Leandi Stretter, a business coach and guide from RaceCorp. Welcome, Leandi. Good morning. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. Today's theme, diversifying out of a stalled South African economy. Joining us on the line is our guest, Sean Temlett, Chief Innovation Officer of iCampus. They specialize in managed training services. Sean, welcome. Thanks, Richard, and uh, good morning to everybody. It's been great to great to have you on the show with us today. Thank you. And uh, Thank you. Might, might I add, no stranger to the show, you've joined us on, on a few other occasions. We really always appreciate your insights. So, Sean, I had a, a look at a piece of uh, uh, data that was uh, put out there by Stats SA. It said the following, GDP in the first quarter of 2017 contracted by 0.7%. Large negative contributor to the growth in GDP in the first quarter was trade, catering, and the accommodation industry, which decreased by 5.9%, contributing 0.8% to that drop in GDP growth. The manufacturing industry contracted 3.7%. And I look at this and I go, wow, okay. So if we say we're in a stalled economy, that would be, uh, I guess, a minor understatement. If you look at areas like, you know, trade, catering, accommodation, manufacturing industries, I mean, this is this is big. Um, I mean, I guess... Where are we going to, where are we going to find that growth that we, that everybody needs? I mean, every business in South Africa is looking for growth. Um, I mean, we, years ago, we used to talk in the world of banking. We used to say the, 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 the seeking for, um, for growth and yield, mm. uh, internationally. But now we're into the space of just looking for growth just in the good old South African economy. Mm. So Richard, you know, the, the numbers are not not very good, are they? No, um, not good at all. And if you layer on top of that, let's just step away from the GDP numbers for a moment and let's look at South Africa as a as a competitive entity. Mm. Um, you, you'll be aware it dropped 14 places in the World Economic Forum competitiveness report. Mm. Um, and these, these are big um, numbers and they take a long time to change one way or the other. So this is not something that's new. This is something that's been brewing now for for easily the last five to seven to ten years, perhaps. And I think that, for me, is as big a worry as the GDP numbers. You know, mm. if our industries are not competitive, then the chances of them recovering the GDP is, is remote. But, of course, when we look at the economics uh, of South Africa, one has to be cautious of lumping everything into one sort of set of economic data. Mm. I think there are still pockets of of of, of growth. Um, I mean, I'm, I know we're seeing growth in in tourism still in the eastern and the western Cape, um, or more the western Cape. Um, but it's not enough. 
it's not enough to keep our economy growing and to uh, make it attractive for foreign investment. Yeah. And that's what worries me about the manufacturing sector. I mean, that's, that's really where we beneficiate, where mm. we add value to the raw materials and commodities out of Africa. And we've been talking about beneficiation for 40 years, Richard, and we're just not getting... We're just not getting there. Yeah, we keep um, we so keep exporting is, the, the we keep yes. exporting that raw material Correct. raw product, and, yes. and you just kind of go, um, "My goodness, guys, we need to add value here." Yes. So one uh, one must continue to invest in order to make those large economic wheels turn in our favour. Um, but the question is, what do we do in the meantime, mm. and how do we keep um, from spinning out? Uh, while we make those big adjustments uh, in the South African economy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I guess we, we've kind of got the scenario of this is the landscape. Uh, and as we always say, you know, in golf, where the ball lands, yeah. you have to play the ball. And right. so where we, how are we going to play the ball? I mean, I, I guess the point is, yes. okay, when, when, when it's downtime, it's a good opportunity for us to be thinking about, you know, using that quiet time, as one may call it, or the yeah. downtime productively sure. inside sure. your business. I mean, what are your thoughts sure. there? I mean, what, what should people so be doing? Are, absolutely. I mean, when, when businesses are growing a helter skelter, um, they are under risk. Um, and, and you'll know this, Richard, with your financial background, that cash flows become pressurized as the business grows. Working capital cycles go out a little bit, and so organizations put themselves under strain, and they put debt on the books and all of those good things. And, you know, in a rising tide, that's fine. Um, that's good and well. Um, the revenues are going up, and everybody's sort of managing the process um, uh, without too much risk. But obviously, when the tide goes out and you're left with, um, you know, poor working capital or you're left with uh, debt on your balance sheet that, that you put on there during the good times, I think it's incumbent on all CEOs to sit down and take stock of their organizations. Um, you know, it's one thing to focus on outside opportunity all the time, but I think you also have to look at your internal risks and your internal weaknesses. So I think during a, a, a times like this, I know in my businesses, we do a lot of repair work, um, and that is not just uh, on the asset side. It's also on the people side of the business. Um, mm. It's about regrowing and re, um, retraining people. It's also about looking at new strategies. It's also about looking at customers, asking yourself which customers are working really well for you and how you're looking after them. So there is, um, you know, it's like being in the property business, you know, when when the when the tenants move out, that's when you when you fix up the buildings. Um, and I think the same analogy applies to our businesses. So I have a question here. Um, with regards to diversification and, yes, of course, taking some time to take stock inside the business, um, yes. isn't it – shouldn't we also continue to hunt? And um, one of the things that we sure. do at Raise Corp a lot is we do not tame our lions. We're very much about creating independent, independent, self-sufficient, sustainable, even in a tough time, guys that go out there, they hunt, they make it happen while taking stock, sure. while growing, while scaling. 
Um, because inevitably you cannot inev- sit and wait for the economic situation to turn. Somebody is a trigger. Somebody enables that besides government. So yes. who is it that needs to keep hunting? Um, and, and where can we look for alternative opportunities? What is it that we need to do to diversify, to Im- ensure that um, our cash flow, yes, of course, it's at risk, it's taking strain, but the great hunters, they're, you know, by hook or by crook, they make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think um, the, the reality is hunting <clears throat> in the South African market at the moment requires you to take market share away from your competitors. So it's, um, it, it is a tough market at the moment. Um, in the market that we play in, which is corporate training, um, mm. there's lots of players out there, low barriers to entry. Mm. Um, the decision-making cycles of our clients are quite long. The investment is quite large. Um, and so one has to continually look at your value proposition and ask yourself, what are you doing to be more competitive than, than your competitors? Mm. Um, and I think this is a, this can be exciting because it requires attention and it requires focus. And of course, um, our focus at iCampus on innovation means that when we look at these barriers and we look at these constraints, we're always looking for what is the innovative uh, solution to that. Mm. So the point that you're making, which is it's about still generating sales while you fix up the business or you correct the business, is absolutely correct. Mm. Um, but it's, more, it's not just about going head on with your traditional competitors. I think you have to ask yourself, what is it that my client is feeling and what is the pressure mm-hmm. What are the pressure points, or as we call them, the points of pain and the points of pleasure sure. that, our, that our customers are asking for at the moment? And then it's about addressing those. So I can perhaps give you an example, a quick example. You know, um, in, in the world of training, executive training, it's, uh, there's a lot of focus on cost. Mm. And we understand that. Um, so we want to be as cost as possible. But those corporates also don't want their management team and their leaders out of the business for long extended periods of time. Mm. So to the extent that we as a training organization can reduce the amount of time that the executives are away from the desk and still maximize the return on the investment in terms of outcomes and skills, that might make us more competitive. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, it's, a, it's a client-centric world we're living in, and it's no longer inside out. It's very much an outside in, from a market perspective, uh, place to play. Um, and also, do you not think that this presents opportunity? Because it's not just you know small business that takes strain. It's obviously your larger customers and your clients. So identifying those pains and finding new ways to resolve them, would that not present some interesting opportunities? Yes, so that's, that's happened for us well in the sense that um, – um, the clients are coming back with much more interesting challenges. So it's mm. not business as usual. And I think it's about, um, I, I think one of the things that we like to think we do well is responsiveness. So when a client says to us, look, um, we want to do things a little bit differently, for us, there are no holy cows. Um, it's a case of, okay, how do we respond to that challenge? Mm. Um, so, the, yeah, so I think, I think doing business in South Africa is, is really about um, having to, to be more competitive um, and take perhaps more market share away rather than just being part of a growing market. And it's about being responsive to what those customer requirements are. Mm. Now, Sean, I mean, there's always the challenge of being stuck in one market segment. I mean, you know, yes. you, let, let me use, you know, your business. You're in, uh, you know, executive training. In my, yes. in, our, one of my, in our businesses, we're in, you know, 
providing part-time financial executives into into companies. Correct. We, we're talking to a very with a very specific, uh, let's call it product and service set, and and many companies are in this space. You know, yes. do you? When the growth slows, do you revisit yes. that scenario? How do you revisit it? What What are your thoughts there? Exactly. Um, and, you know, my, um, we get trained to do this. If you go back to, to management training, we, we always ask, what are your new products? What are your new markets? So that you can stimulate growth. Um, and what I'm finding increasingly today is that when you – when you look at new products and you look at new markets, and I'll give you a in a moment, the ability to do that, it sometimes requires you to fundamentally change business model. Mm. So Richard, mm. you and I have businesses which has a standard business model. <clears throat> in my case, it's, um, you know, number of executives on training with us mm. at any point in time. Mm. Um, now, for us to reach into new markets, sometimes we have to change the product fundamentally so that it's perhaps more uh, transportable. Um, mm. And we may also have to change the way that we deliver that product to the customer. So let me give you a, t- a real example of this. So our, our core business is about um, putting executives in a classroom-type setting. Perhaps sometimes there's a thing that goes with that. But traditionally, we teach pretty much like business schools have taught for hundreds of years around the world. Um, with, this, with this challenge of kind of growing our business, we, we sat down and said, okay, where is the, or where are the hungry fish? Who's hungry out there for training? And um, how do they want to receive this training from us? Now, that's a completely different set of questions, isn't it? It's a, as you said earlier, it's an outside-in approach. And in our research, we kind of focused on the Indian market. Mm. Um, and people say, well, why the Indian market? It's not that we only focus on the Indian market, but they are a proxy for English-speaking students around the world who are downloading digital training from the web. And they are enormous consumers of that. Now, how we reach those people is very different to what our current business model is and what we charge is also very different. But actually, the product that we provide, the people and the training and the outcomes and the facilitators and the people with the content is, a, is the same, except that it's obviously digitized to reach 13 million-odd people who are hungry for, for training. And the interesting thing is that South Africans are um, – we, we are pretty good business people with lots of experience. And so, therefore, um, we're quite attractive to that international market and we share the same language, which is also quite useful. What would you, just as a matter of interest, what would you attribute our more innovativeness and um, our sort of ability to to come up with new offerings and solutions to as South Africans? Um, Look, I think that it's such a good thing um, because sometimes it comes out of a survivalist mentality. In other words, how do we actually survive Mm. in our current? uh, environment which is not that conducive to business, so uh, there is an element of that. Mm. But I, I think the positive side of that is that um, innovation is not just about opportunity identification; it's mm. also about the most efficient way Absolutely. of fulfilling that opportunity with the least possible resources. And so I think one can be very innovative in how one uh, actually closes out those opportunities. 
And if you can do that in a way which is risk-reducing um, and reduces the amount of, of capital and other resources that are required, I think that, that that's a good thing. Um, and I think South Africans, by the I think we've had to become good at that because we are a resource-constrained environment. If you look at uh, the capital that's available, if you look at the size of our market, it's not particularly big. If you look at our efficiencies, there's a whole range that you can look at. The cost of data, the cost of telecommunications is quite high. Uh, Our people costs are actually quite high if you consider Mm. our productivity and so forth. And so, in fact, um, I think what South Africans do quite well is that they make a plan um, mm. and they they execute on those on those opportunities in a way which is perhaps more efficient than if we were in a non-resource constrained context. Mm. Now, I mean, Sean, if if I look at the constraints that that we we often it's called place on ourselves. I mean, we, we you know we go. I'm in a business to business market, or I'm in the business to consumer yes. market, and that's yes. that's where I I play. What I'm Very hearing, oh uh, yeah, what I'm hearing you saying is, you know, you're you're going well. We we facilitate conversations, learning conversations, right. and you, right. and you can now do this through a digital method. So that's let's call it change the channel mm. to the same yes. uh, to to the market. But yes. what about getting to a different market? So you you've you've been yeah. talking to yeah. in your business, you're talking to corporates. So that's a business yes. to business market. What about a yes. business to consumer market? Right. Right. So, in fact, what you've uh, what you've highlighted is actually the big shift that we've had to make this year. Is that in the business to business market, um, budgets are under a lot of pressure at the moment, um, and and the you know, big companies to just release people onto academic or business school type training is, has shrunk. Okay. Um, and we don't want to, we don't want to stop that. We love that business. It's what our value system thrives on. It's that person to person contact. Mm. But one has to diversify. And in a sense, you're right. We've, we've actually taken a step in towards a sort of a business to consumer market and we've had to adjust our business model completely. So to give you an example, um, an individual that comes on corporate training. Um, the company can expect to spend anything between twenty and a half thousand rand for that individual, depending on what the outcomes requirements are. Where we offer a twenty-minute digitized piece of of training on the web, um, we charge anything between twenty rand and two hundred dollars. Hmm. At twenty dollars, uh, twenty US dollars, and two hundred US dollars. So, you can immediately see the one business model is, uh, you know, low number of people, fairly high cost per person. The other business model is enormous numbers of people um, paying a much smaller hmm. amount of money for a smaller piece of the action. Yeah. Um, and yet it's it's scalable. Why is it scalable? Because it's digitized. And it's the, using you know all the disruptive technologies that we keep talking mm, about. Yeah. What's also, nice for us is that those two markets don't really overlap. So mm. we don't find uh, top executives coming to us and saying, "Can you please give us a library of um, you know online digitized um, bite-sized pieces of information." And that's not what they're looking for. Mm. What they're looking for is application. They're looking for um, relevance to their current business. They're looking for diversity of thinking. 
those are very different requirements to somebody that says, listen, show me the basics of finance or show me the basics of marketing and strategy, and I will digest that myself. I will watch the tutorial three or four times over, um, and I take responsibility for my own training. Completely different. So we're not really cannibalizing the one with the other, if that Mm. makes sense to you. And, and Sean, I, I guess the reality is as well that you now have the ability to generate what I, I would call offshore flows. Yes, so yes. the the digitized platform, um, you, you can basically be be giving this to somebody in Finland mm. or in, yes. in Bangladesh or somebody yes. you know in Cape Town. It, it doesn't really Correct. matter where you physically mm. are. I, I always I always use the example uh, when I talk about uh, cost uh, cost base to people. I always use a yes. a comparison of a and and I mean everybody I think knows the good old Sun City uh, of the day back in the day. You know they built Sun City and it was the gambling venue in the in yes. the homeland because that's where you had to go to gamble back in the day, back in the day and you look at the cost of for Sun International of building that massive infrastructure to facilitate gaming and then you compare that with a online casino you know pig's peak oh, online casino whatever you call it and and Great I, I example. yeah and i often use this yeah. when i when i'm when i'm uh, doing ratios with people and i talk about the return yeah. on asset ratio and i go guys who wow. do you think is winning here you know sun international yeah. with the cost yeah. of sun city to get that gaming revenue in or the same yeah. or even half of the gaming revenue on the back Correct. end of click click Correct. click click yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and, and and people always laugh at uh, they say to me Correct. oh but the guys at the casino have to oh, uh, you know they have to have the computers and i look at them yeah. and i say Oh yes, and you yes. haven't heard of cloud computing yet. Mm. And they look at me in horror as they realize yes. that we've just moved. Right. Uh, just the, t- let's call it the technical no, disruptors have not only disrupted, let's call it the bricks and clicks model, but the clicks have now been disrupted by the, you, you have to own the tin versus you can just own the usage of the tin. Mm. Um, we, yeah, we, we've, we, we, we recently had a show on, uh, that people will find in the archives on the whole question of the usage, um, uh, let's call it, uh, mentality and the, and the principle of the, you know, uberizing things and, and, mm. and just paying yes. for usage versus ownership. Um, yes. and I think it is so critical how that Let's call it approach and thinking has shifted yes. and, and it, and it continues to shift and it, and it's now yes. adjusting how we do other parts of business models, mm. um, right. and enabling things. I mean, if, you know, if you go back five years, the concept that you didn't own the server that you put your right. IT on nowadays, yes. most people like you, you look at them and you say, you own a server. I mean, other than, you know, your big banks and your b- yeah. b- bigger corporates. Sure. But, but in most cases, you know, you, you say to somebody, I own a server and they look at you like you've actually lost it. And they go like, yeah. do you realize you could outsource this and actually have sure. none of the pain? So yeah, exactly. I think we, we, we have got into that world where, and, and it's also quite interesting because it's, it's introduced and we're talking about growth. Mm. It's introduced a whole new range of 
um, let me call them lines of business or business uh, activities into the economy. You know, mm. if you said to yeah. somebody, "I'm a cloud," uh, we run a cloud service providing company. Five years ago, people would like look at you and go, well, "That's like a high risk thing." You know? sure. It's like sure. a few yeah. years ago that whole internet thing. People weren't quite so sure that that internet thing was going to work. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, right. just right. talk talking about that, and I mean, obviously, yeah. generating growth through virtual offerings is 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 clearly an opportunity. But there's also yeah. the opportunity opportunity to to let's call it lead generate into your space when when you need that diverse sure. you know when you when when growth is slow and you want a little bit of diversification i mean i yeah. i know we're not great at this in south africa i think it's you know i think we we struggle with our own networks and our yes. I, yes. I think we, we we are by by nature um particularly in the business communities um, it is quite closed networking type mm. of environments, right. but elsewhere, closed, yeah. yeah, elsewhere in the globe, you know, you, you, you in the states, you go you go to people and you say, "I'm going to pay you," you know, "I want to pay for your service," and and you're going to go out there and lead generate for me, and their whole businesses just doing lead generation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that must, oh. that that must be a great way to diversify and grow and and grow. From, an, from a, a growth perspective, getting your leads from no, them, get somebody else to get your leads for you. Yeah, so Richard, I think that's a good piece of advice, which I think I'm up on. Um, thank you for sharing that with us. I don't use, <clears throat> I don't use any of these sort of um, aggregators or these lead generators, mm. um, mainly because our traditional business has been kind of word of mouth and it's based on past experience. And we have traditionally focused extensively on the financial services and the retail sector. So there's probably, you know, 30 or 40 key decision makers in the South African context. Mm. Um, but you're right. If one starts to look outside of South Africa, then the question is, how do you reach the decision makers? Um, mm. So let's use an example. If I want to reach a decision maker in the hotel and leisure industry for Africa, where am I going to find those people? Mm. Um, some of them are, have offices in Dubai. Um, they run their Africa operations out of Dubai. How do you reach those people? Because you, you didn't go to university with them, et cetera. Yeah. And you so, you um, often, you often don't speak their local language. Mm. You're not part of their cultural space. Correct. I, I recently, How do you get introduced to yeah. them? Mm. Look, I, I mean, I, I recently became so aware we, we had an interaction with a potential local client who's the subsidiary of an international, uh, company based in Japan. Hmm. And I, I was really amazed. They, they uh, have uh, um, a regional office in in the Middle East, and yes. they have Japanese MD is local, and then some financial controllers, etc. Hmm. In 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 the Middle East, and I was yes. amazed at how. You know, we, I think we all think of English as our first language, and we, we're just so comfortable yes. with it. But when you're suddenly yes. dealing across many of the cultural divides across the exactly. – and, and, I mean, you experience this into, into Europe. You experience this into other countries in the Far East, the Malaysias, right. the Philippines of the world, et cetera. Yes. You know, we mustn't forget that, that you know, to, to operate in those environments – I mean, I don't know about you, but – my own networking capabilities in Tokyo is is, is a little scratchy, uh, to say the least. Um, and and you know, I mean, 
I recently, uh, a year ago, had an opportunity to travel into China, and I was surprised at how prevalent English was as a as a language in right. terms of yeah. signboards and things like that. But you're still dealing in Cantonese and and Chinese yeah, oh, and yeah. all of these things, and, and and you realize that that language is still such an impediment to to growth. And yeah. and and yeah. once you pass that point where opportunities can flow. If you've got people yeah. that can facilitate that, wow, then, then things really start moving. I know. Um, so I'm a little stuck in the past um, where <laughs> I rely quite extensively on my own network to kind of get introductions and so forth. But I think the time is coming where one has to kind of uh, scout around for uh, professional companies who um, will introduce you to to the decision makers in those organizations. Mm. You can't hear a bit of hesitation in my voice because one, one, one worries to some extent, you know, who these brokers and gatekeepers yes. might be. Mm. Um, and of course, in South Africa at the moment, there's quite a, a spotlight <laughs> on, um, on organizations that, that essentially maybe play some of that role in introducing yes. um, companies to mm. one another. Yeah. So I think that's, so I think there is an opportunity there, but one just has to be careful um, mm. of your brand and how your brand is used in the marketplace. Exactly, and be careful of who you do business with. Right. You know, pick your pick your uh, pick your lead generation uh, providers and people who work with you uh, yeah. uh, very 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 carefully. Sean, it's been mm. great. It's been great chatting well, to you. you. We really appreciate your insights. We trust that people will from this this uh, pod, uh, podcast have given some thought to how they diversify their their businesses. That was our guest, Sean Temlett, Chief Innovation Officer of iCampus. Next up is our business conversation. Stay with us. This is CliffCentral.com.